This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn interest of up to 3.83% on the idle cash in their brokerage accounts? That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more globally. Minimize your costs to maximize your returns. Of course, rates are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash interest rates. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Starting off the year, 2023, let's get after it. Unemployment dips, markets like what they see. We have some more FTX and crypto fallout and a look back to look ahead. All this and much more on episode number 798 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey there, it's Andrew Horowitz, and welcome to the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm really happy that you're with me this week, every week, and into the new year. I hope you had a great year end and celebration for the holidays, and you spent some time with family, but you yucked it up a little bit. You had a lot of fun. You spent some time doing some crazy things, and now here we are back to business. And yeah, we are back to business. Hopefully, also, you enjoyed our last week's roundup of the guests, the parade of guests where we had, I don't know, what do we have, 30 guests on last year, some overlapping, but maybe about 15 or 18 brand new guests that we have. Each and every week, we're always looking for somebody interesting. Not always do we want to have a guest. Sometimes we have a lot of business to discuss, things to go over like this week. But oftentimes, uh, the reason we bring guests on is because it's interesting. And there is some education, there's insight Oftentimes, what I try to do is seek out people that maybe I don't know a lot about their area, or maybe I do, but their insights uh, I'd like to find out more about. It's as much of an educational process for me as I hope it is for you. The whole point of what we do here is a bit self-centered in a way where I get to hear some of the, from some of the greatest people in the business and interface with them and interact with them. At the same time, you get the benefit of, of hearing what they have to say as well. So it's, it's a really great balance, what we do here each and every week. I've been doing it since 2007. So I love it. It's great. Each week, as a matter of fact, one of the highlights of my week is saying, hey, you know what? It's time to get on that microphone and do that podcast. Seriously, it really is. So hopefully you enjoy it as well. Um, couple things I really want to just really address right now. Obviously, we saw the unemployment rate dip down to 3.5% on Friday. And uh, that was really a pretty hot number compared to where a lot of people thought it would be. But, you know, above the 200,000 consensus view of new job ads and in, uh, in the 226 really was very much in line with what ADP put out this week as well. Um, and that was discouraging for markets. Really, the thing I, I believe what markets hooked into on Friday was that the wage inflation, the wage growth was adjusted downward from 0.6% last month to 0.4%. And this month was lower than expected as well. Therefore, the idea is, well, maybe if we have wage growth that is slowing down, potentially people are making less money. And that is the impact of what the Fed is trying to do. And maybe they don't have to work as hard because inflation will stay subdued. And why is that? Well, if people don't have as much money, they're probably not going to be spending as much. I mean, that makes just obvious sense. And if they're not spending as much, therefore, prices can start to settle down or stop escalating. Well, there's some truth to that. However, at the same time, we did see that 3.5% unemployment rate. And that flies right in the face of what we just discussed because there's more people working, more people have money, more people can buy things, more people are willing to and feel a lot more um, 
are able to and confident in their purchases in the future. Now, we add to that one more piece of the puzzle, and that is that we finally saw, I tweeted out actually on, uh, I think it was Thursday, that there was a chart I put up of the ISM manufacturing and the ISM services indices. ISM manufacturing is in contraction. ISM services had been in expansion over the 50 line for some time. And I put up the question on Twitter with the chart. By the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Andrew Horowitz, one word, one word all squished together, Andrew Horowitz on Twitter. So um, I put out the, the question with the chart. I said, hey, how long is it going to be till we see services hold up? You know, a service is going to finally roll over was the concept of behind this because how long is it going to take till this finally happens? And you know what? It happened. So services finally went under the 50 marked into the contraction territory on Friday. And that was combined with the idea that wage inflation or wage growth is slowing. And if you add those things together, that maybe there is some reasonable assumption that we can conclude from this, that maybe the Fed is not done, but they're going to slow their roll a little bit. At least that's today's version of the story. And you add that back to what Bullard was saying, a traditional, very hawkish member, maybe the hawkish of all the hawks. And he was a little bit less hawkish on Thursday. So even though markets have been rolling over and doing all sorts of, you know, crazy volatile up 400, down 500, up 300, up 400, down 200. I mean, in the Dow and the same thing going with the other indices. And we're seeing a lot of layoffs with Microsoft, the latest coming in and Amazon in the tech world with not small insignificant numbers, by the way, big numbers. So I think that right now what we're seeing is a very significantly confused market participant, a market participant that is either all out or all in one side or the other. That's what it looks like. It looks like people are panicking in, panicking out, not knowing what to do, every single piece of information that passes along the news wires. And I got to tell you something. I was thinking about this just today. I took a long walk this morning. And I was thinking about this. Maybe there's just too much information. You know, the old concept of trying to take a sip of water out of an open fire hydrant back in the days when we would uh, cool off in the city streets with a fire hydrant. But the idea of trying to take all this information in and understand the complexities as it is pouring out of us, of the, of the sources multiple times a day and often showing conflicting information, maybe we've gotten to a point that all this great 24 seven, um, you know, instantaneous transparency, maybe it's a little much. Would it be nice to go back to a consolidated view of the information? You know, you look at things like the leading indicators, that's a consolidated view of a few different indices put together. And that comes out once a month. And you can use it if you want or not. Some people say it's worthless. But the point is that what you have is at least somehow a, um, a slow roll of information that you can make decisions on in a broad picture versus making a decision at every single level, every single minute that something spits out, whether it's a good or bad and then reverses on the next. I can't tell you how many times markets have reversed off of a Fed speaker multiple times during a day, and then on top of it, try to make heads or tails of whatever the economic indicators that were released earlier were, and then combine that and bake that off somehow and come out with a perfect souffle of information all within a few hours about the future of the markets over the next year. I mean, it's, it's insane. So what I want to do, and I thought we'd do this week, is do a little bit of a look back. Uh, there's some items that we wrote up. A little bit long, I'll try to go through these and provide the, the highlights, the, 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 the important points of interest with this. And then um, I think we'll give us a good basis as we do this to formulate a, a plan. At least give you the insights of where things are and what we should be looking for so that you have insight 
on a much broader brush approach rather than every single piece of information flying in your face and trying to make a decision based on that information. That is not, it's not good investment management. It doesn't work. Now, we know that, of course, as we start off the year this year, 2023, that, of course, we are on the heels of a pretty ugly year. Last year, we saw the Dow down just under 10% or just better than 10%. Um, S&P down, what, uh, 19 or so, depending on how you look at it with a total return or just price. And um, 30 plus percent for the NASDAQ and small caps got hurt as well. Now, energy was a standout, of course. But let's go through some of that um, as we as we look back at at 2022. And I think probably we could all agree that 2022, the the one thing that stood out was just one word, just one thing that was really important through 2022. And that was CPI, PPI, inflation. It wasn't only here in the United States, it was all around the world. And our economies are investing our way of doing things, our central banks, all heavily influenced by the rising costs and why it was. And, and, and they engrossed in all of the ways to try to short circuit what was going on. Even though it started off probably in the latter part of 2021, things got really rolling pretty significantly throughout the year because we saw the continuation of supply chain issues and the problems that we had with reopenings and staying closed because of the pandemic and the Russian-Ukrainian war and what was going on with, with energy prices. All of this was like the perfect storm. They came into play at a time that we had excess stimulus that had to be removed, but it wasn't done as fast as it should have been because, because the Fed... You know me, I've, I have bashed the Fed pretty well and I will continue to do so because I think they're a bunch of, of, of blowhards that honestly are living in a world of academia and trying experiments on us from a financial standpoint and not living up to what their real goals are. And if they were doing so, they would have done a lot more in the beginning. I'm talking back to 2020, by the way, that once the Fed knew that there was a massive amount, I mean, not just a little trickle, I'm talking about an avalanche of money that was coming from the the, the stimulus programs on a fiscal basis from the government right to your bank account. They should have done something right then and there to say, you know what, we probably shouldn't have zero interest rate policy going on right now. Because the only reason we would do so is in a time when there was no stimulus and when really all of the weight of the economic revival was on the back of the Fed. But that wasn't the case. What happened, and you kind of move a little bit further on and you fast forward, what you look at is that the Federal Reserve was thinking, you know, well, you know, in the beginning of the year, eh, maybe we'll see 2.5% or so inflation. But well, that's not a big deal. That's not really above our 2% target. And now that we're using this inflation averaging experiment, well, maybe we're okay. And the idea that the Fed utilized this inflation averaging process was only to hide that they were unable to provide for the, the required uh, tools in order to really spark inflation. And they thought, you know what? Maybe we should overdo it for a while. They were wrong about the supply chain issues that they thought were going to ease and what was going to happen after reopenings all. And there was just a real problem. And, and, and they underestimated all this. They underestimated how much the rising wages and the stimulus programs and savings that were amassed inside of portfolios, inside of bank accounts and maybe stashed under the mattress and, and, and how consumers were going to say, you know what the hell with this? I almost had a near death experience with this COVID crap and we were locked in our house for how long we're out of here. We're buying, we're doing, I have enough couches from Wayfair. I have enough, I have enough office furniture from office Depot. I have enough things, sneakers from Nike. I'm good. I'm going on a trip. I'm traveling. I'm going on a staycation. I'm going to be going and doing something 
that is more of an experiential spend than a materialistic spend. Now that's, you know, depending on the person, but really that had a big issue. And, and, and when the Fed didn't really pick up on this, this spending that was going to go on, and when they didn't see the impact of the energy crisis due to the initial energy crisis, due to the invasion of Ukraine and the cost of foods, particularly grains that went through the roof, right? Natural gas that went crazy. This was not only here in the U.S., it was around the world. The IMF has now th- is now thinking that inflation is going to hit more than 8.8%, um, which is the highest rate since 96. This is a global-based. So now what the Fed is doing is backtracking and having to go out and aggressively tighten more than they've done in decades. CPI in, in um, the 19 countries, you know, the IFA and Europe, uh, uh, Asia and, um, excuse me, IFA, Europe, Australia, the Far East, as well as the U.S., Canada, um, Mexico rose to 10% in November, last November, and, and price of food are, are astronomical. The U.S. dollar has been surging. That's causing, was causing a lot of problems. And that was something that was also heavily inflationary for many of these other countries outside of the U.S. on top of what we were having here. So, you know, when you see that, the fact that oil rose to $110 per barrel, first time since 2011, I believe, when energy prices were already rising in 2021, and then we had all this other stuff. So now all of that was a big problem, adding to this massive inflationary pressure. Now, we've seen a bit of a reversal, right? So so all it came down to the 70s. We see food prices coming down, lumber prices coming down. We see a lot of materials starting to soften dramatically. As a matter of fact, there's a cadre of analysts out there that are saying, you know what? You're not watching what's happening This inflation that we're seeing is really hiding this major deflationary trend that's going on right now that is based on what really drove the inflation dramatically over the last year and a half. So when we see that even though there's still this war going on in Ukraine and and, and Russia's not stopping their invasion and they they, they seem hell-bent on continuing, you know, energy Prices have come down. A lot of that has to do with the concern about what's going to happen with economic activity, particularly in China, as they went from a COVID-free or zero, zero COVID policy to 100% COVID policy, which is where they seem to be right now. And this issue that we're seeing right now on the commodity deflationary front is, I think, indicative of the outlook of a slowing of economic activity, massive slowing of economic activity in the area of building um, and manufacturing. And now, while we saw a slowdown in 2022 to the amount of where we saw officially a recession of two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, we turned that around in the most recent reading, right? We saw a 3.2%, which was above estimates, above first, second estimate. The third and final came in at 3.2%. And though inflation has been a problem and cutting into the ability for individuals to, to spend and what they could spend money on, they're still spending. They're still spending. Now, yes, we saw some backing off on retail spend recently. And those numbers from the economics definitely came down. But really, they're spending on other things. And that's why it took until this month for the services index to finally come down. We saw things like industrial production, capacity utilization. We saw the manufacturing activity. All of that really started to slow down. That's the materialistic spend slowing down. Buying less washing machines, less homes. They're they're doing less fix-up. No more barbecues. And you know, look at Traeger, look at Weber. When Weber just went private because they were pretty much beaten up and flamed out. Uh, but what happened was this inflation issue, and 
The inflation was also brought upon by the excessive amount of speculation that was being taken, which turned out to be another flame out in the area of crypto. And we saw that, yes, well, cryptocurrencies, naturally the filtering and the survival of the fittest process hit many of the altcoins that were just crap and BS. But we also noticed that there was some other things, shady characters appearing, pumping dumpers, you know, the Bitcoiners forever and others that were pushing you to buy things on the notion that, you know, this is going to create freedom and just an environment of diversity and inclusion. And the idea that a currency or non-currency that can't be controlled by any country that you were in full control of was going to be the destiny of all currencies. Absolute hogwash. Everything I just said is not what it's going to do. What Bitcoin could do, in theory, is create another currency component for payment systems, systems, uh, 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 and then on top of it, be another speculative asset class for whatever reason. The problem is now the trust factor, the confidence, which is what really held everything up, what was built upon as this Michael Saylor, Michael Strat, micro strategy. Uh, lying about, you know, how this is the future, another pump and dumper that just wants you to raise the price of Bitcoin for his own pocketbook. It's fallen on hard times due to the fact that the fraudsters came along. The ability to seemingly rob the bank from the aspect of what happened with Sam Bankman, Freed, FTX, Alameda, all of that. And on top of that, the ability and what we've seen for the the the, the, the exchanges to be hacked and hundreds of millions of dollars stolen, or are they? You know, you think about what happened with FTX for a second, you wonder, hmm, maybe all these hacks were really inside jobs. Have you ever thought about that? The hacks that we hear about, 100 million here, what, inside job that can't be traced or can be and only partially repaid. So the crypto viability in 2022, 2023, the idea that this was the new vision that was going to take over a, a country's sovereign currency, which never really could be the case, by the way. If you know anything about economics, which most of these hucksters that are dealing with the, were pushing the, the, the cryptos were, um, they didn't understand economic 101. I mean, really core basic economics that an economy needs to run on uh, not only debt and equity and government uh, and taxes, but also on a common currency that can in fact and will, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, by the way, you may not like what I'm telling you, I don't care. But a currency is a, regula a, a, a regulator of, or a piece of the regulation and when I say regulation, I don't mean like um, rules. I mean like the ability to regulate something, like regulate uh, on a car or regulate um, on, on a water flow. It, it helps to regulate the economic activity without a currency that can be then tied into the process of allowing for expansion or contraction that does not move with an economy. There's no need for anything because an economy won't work. It can't hold together. You cannot show me how somehow magically just a the, the movement of the yen can do anything for our economy here if it's not tied to the dollar. In other words, a dollar, uh, the, uh, excuse me, a yen-euro combo, okay, that movement doesn't do anything for our economy if we're not priced in that particular currency. If our manufacturers, exporters, importers are not, in fact, working with the same currency, we can't do anything to adjust. In a slowing economic environment, the dollar, the currency of that current country should be dropping. If you have a weak backdrop of fundamentals, it should be dropping compared to another currency, and that is a regulatory process. It is a, a process that is natural. Let's take a moment and talk about 
bonds for a second, because I'll tell you, bonds have been in play. And Interactive Brokers gives you access to a vast selection of global fixed income securities in their bond marketplace. The Interactive Brokers bond marketplace gives you the ability to search deep availability of over 1 million bonds globally. And IBKR has no markups or built-in spreads and low, fully transparent commissions on bonds. Now, IBKR displays the highest bids and lowest offers received from the electronic venues that they access. And in addition, clients can interact with each other by placing bids and offers online to execute their trades. Now, in in an era where bond prices have become a lot more, let's say, attractive, okay, I think we could all agree on that, I want you to check out what's available over at ibkr.com slash bonds. Learn more about everything that happens at the Interactive Brokers Bond Marketplace at ibkr.com slash bonds. So when we look at 2022, I mean, it be, it started off like rough, right? It started off, you know, January, February was ugly. Things didn't get a lot better. Um, you know, and even as we ended the year, one of the things we did notice was the harsh hit to many different sectors. I want to read just a couple of these, these numbers, these charts that we put up um, that, that looked at what happened throughout the year and really get a good picture because I think this will give us some insight into what to look at that may be a little bit overdone into next year, into 2023, we are now, right? Into the, into the moving, where are we now? We're in the, 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 the 8th of January, first full week of January, right? Done. So, um, or actually, it's, is it two weeks now? Uh, second was that we came back third, seventh. Yeah. So first week back, right? So here we are uh, getting into our second week, and we saw that incredible amount of problems, except for energy last year. Energy was up 59%, the energy sector of equities. Um, everybody else was in trouble, right? Communications was the worst, down 40%. We saw information technologies down 28 real estate down 28, financials down 12, consumer discretionary got whacked down 37, staples did okay, healthcare did okay, about threes, and utilities were down only about one and a half percent. The biggest problem last year in 2022 was not equities, in my opinion, because equities will move around and, and, and are easier to understand from the aspect of valuation standpoints. And while there is some um, you know, problem with an equity that goes down. 75% or even 50%, how hard it is to get back to the next level of where you were to break even. The fact of the matter is that the bonds were really the biggest issue of 2022. The problem that we had was that it, very rarely do you see a year when a 50-50 stock bond portfolio, 60-40 stock bond portfolio is in the red. In fact, if you go back about 100 years, You'll see that one out of um, like a six a six out of one hundred, so so less than ten percent, maybe six percent of the time, there is a uh, a period where a sixty forty portfolio is down. So that's pretty good, right? I mean, if you think about it, get a ninety four percent shot, you will be doing well. The problem is that this year was exceptionally bad because it went from pretty much a zero to a 025 percent uh, rate uh, to to uh, really. Uh, uh, you know, 4% within a year. And that was a problem. The the, the aggregate bond index, that's, um, we call it the Barclays, it's, it was now called the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, okay, realized the worst return in history for the year, down 13%. Treasuries rose by about 2.3% on the 10-year basis, right? And everything got really out of whack. More importantly, by the end of the year and where we are now is we have an inverted yield curve, which is a precursor and a pretty good general, um, I would say, uh, indicator of the potential of a, a recession to come. Now, whether it comes short, deep, long, tall, wide, is going to be a V, is it going to be an L, is it going to be a U, is it going to be a W? I mean, a lot of questions to answer. 
But already we're starting to see this pressure from the aspect of inflation, what central banks can do, the potential for recession, and weird things starting to happen. Already we saw things like the Bank of Japan, which last week caught markets off guard with the big change. End of December, they said, you know, we're going to lift the ceiling of its 10-year 50 basis points. Their, their currency went bananas, bananas. And one of the problem is you have surprising uh, uh, Kuroda, who is the governor of, uh, you know, the, the, their federal bank, Bank of Japan. Um, and he comes out, usually likes to have these surprises. He's big on this, you know, this big, oh, let's see what markets are going to do if we do this. And he did. And there's a policy change underfoot in Japan right now. They're no longer showing negative interest rates. The negative interest rate um, era seems to be over temporarily at least. And the fact is a lot of them are probably getting very nervous that they better do something quickly. So in fact, they can go back once things get in trouble moving forward. And one of the things you did see that was a very big problem in 2022 towards the first, I would say, three quarters, was the ever-increasing value of the U.S. dollar. Now, our portfolios for our clients are slanted a bit so that we have value in the energies and the financials in our portfolios for our global allocations. And one of the things that's really important is we also had a allocation as we added up and moved up throughout the year into more of a non-dollar-denominated positioning. And I think that's something that's going to really pay off. We look at the move of the dollar last year and the dollar, and I just talked about the yen. I mean, it, it kept on moving up. It sunk the euro. It sunk uh, the Chinese yuan. It moved the yen down to nothing. And since June, there was a big change. The value of the U.S. dollar has been, um, you know, it, it did increase. And then all of a sudden, it started rolling over, right? This big move in the in the middle of the year, Beginning of the year to middle of the year, then this big moves uh, directly uh, higher. Uh, biggest annual gain since 2015. And now here we are with some question about what the Fed's going to do next. Now, one of the things and the implications of a dollar moving in certain directions is what happens to the alternative currencies and what impact would that have on certain investments that are either based in that currency or that will be impacted. So, for example, we look at gold. Gold, yeah, not bad. In the beginning of the year, everybody's, in 2021 especially, be like, ah, you know what, gold, it's for the boomers. You know, we got the Bitcoin, we got the Ethereum, we got all this great stuff going on, the Dogecoin. What do we need the gold for? Gold for old men, silver. <laughs> Who wants that? Well, here we are. All of a sudden, looking at the differential between the, the new gold, Bitcoin, and gold. Gold began the year of 2022 at 1830. It closed at 1830. Pretty much even for the year. Now, there was a spike in the middle of the year when, um, when we saw the, the, the outbreak of the war, right? The Ukrainian war. But basically, everything kind of came back. Point is that even with the dollar increasing dramatically the first half of the year and then it rolling over, gold hold up pretty well. Silver did exceptionally well. And we have positions in both for client portfolios. So circling back to the global allocations I was talking about, that's one of our strategies, which is a well-rounded, very diversified approach. You know, what we look at here is um, this situation where we are finding a a level of um, benefit from certain positions in unhedged bonds or in equities that are denominated in the local currencies rather than in dollars in order to make the opportunity from the spiking dollar really play, pay off really well. Now, some of the things that we continue to look at and some of the things that we are very focused in on, and, and, and it's going to be this way for a while, is, of course, employment. We talked about that a bit, you know, where we went from, you know, uh, 500,000 per month in 2021 down to 225,000 where we are now. And that's coming down a bit, but yet the unemployment rate again, 
down to 3.5%, which is a pretty historic level by any standard, I think. Um, the, the, the thing that we're also looking at is the jolts numbers and how many job openings there are and, you know, the, the continuing unemployed and, un, the, you know, the long-term unemployed and what's happening there. And then, of course, the announcements and, the, and, and all that. It's a very strange environment because it seems that one of the things I was listening to earlier this week was how even if people are losing their jobs, they're being picked up somewhere else very quickly, therefore really not having a lot of time being unemployed. And that, of course, is uh, is good. But again, from an economic standpoint where we are, where we're in an overheated economy that's finally slowing down, and the idea that you know the Fed wants things to slow down, that's not great. Now, obviously, the Fed doesn't want people to be unemployed and miserable, but there's only so many ways that they can actually go about and slow down the economy. So the initial claim seems to be sticking in this 200 and 225,000 per week of initial claims for unemployment insurance. Interesting. Um, we see about 1.7 million people, 1.6 and change that are on, um, you know, receiving uh, unemployment insurance and, this has been moving around about and moving around a lot, but still, I think that uh, it, it, it's a very fascinating time and, and there's just an incredible amount of uh, this economy. The economy has an incredible amount of fortitude and the elasticity and the ability to withstand a lot of shocks due to all the liquidity that was injected. That is still making a mark and and creating a um, continu uh, continuity of strength in many underlying businesses. It's going to take a lot then to really break that. So, you know, the, the idea is that the next couple of rate hikes, the one coming into the February, I think February 1st is the next one, is expected to be 50 basis points. Again, no change there. Hoping for a little bit more, I would say, uh, you know, weaker, more dovish, less hawkish, however you want to look at it, discussion from the Fed. That's something that's going to be out there because, you know, we're already seeing, like I said, you know, manufacturing slowing down. GDP is going to slow down because you're seeing that manufacturing and the ISM, the combined, when you look at a 70-30, you're finally breaking under the 50 on both. We haven't seen that for a while. So you have to say the Fed's... What they're doing is working. We're seeing federal budget deficits, you know, are gigantic, up 30% from a year ago, the last one that we saw. Um, we have more money being spent, another $1.7 in the latest bill. Some of that's for continuing resolution, of course. Part of it is for spending on, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, hamster space engineering or something. A lot of crap in there. But... Uh, you know, it's still not direct payments as we saw in the past. This is not a direct stimulus bill. This is more of business as usual on a government basis. Um, one of the things that also I thought was, was interesting is housing. It's something you really need to pay attention to because housing prices, if you look at your Zillow number on your house, which I know you do, you do, come on, let's be honest. Let's peek at that every once in a while. Hey, honey, our house is worth uh, $1.8 million. You know, it was worth 800000 a year ago. Pretty good. It's going to continue on this road, I bet, forever, right? Not really. Already we're starting to see that there is a significant amount of decline in the overall price of used homes. New homes, I mean, the construction and, and what's going on there is pretty unbelievable. As a matter of fact, I think it's historic. Because over the 12 months that ended in November, listen to this, sales of... The existing homes, so not new homes, right? Existing homes first are down, wait for this, 35%. 35% from a year ago. The the median, the middle price, the absolute middle price of um, existing family homes are now 376 down from 384 a month ago. But they're still higher than they were a year ago. Now, this is only November, December information we have. We don't have any of the updated stuff yet. But you're starting to see something change. And as home sales drop, you're starting to probably notice something. More signs on the lawns of your neighbors. 
more time on the market for those houses. New single-family homes. Now, there's new, new construction. We're up in November, climbing 6%. Two months of increase. However, again, down 15.5% from November 2021. And the, the price, the median price of a house um, sold in November was 421, which is 484 in October. And um, the average sale price went from 443 down to 530. Big issue is that the inventory of new single family homes is a big issue. So when you look at this number, let me just get this number. Yeah, this number. So there's 8.6%. Uh, months of of current sales down from 9.3. So now you have less time on the market from a month ago, but you know what? That will change. People were shell-shocked by the the price of the mortgage, right? And now here we are where everybody's starting to settle in. It's all about the frog in the in the boiling pot. Right? You know that story. Told it before. You don't want to throw that frog into the boiling pot of water. He'll jump out. Ease him in, though. Ease him in. It'll be like a nice, warm jacuzzi for a while until we have frog soup. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the thing that really rounds all this out from 2022 and then what we have to look for in 2023 is confidence. I don't know how many times on this show we've talked about the idea of this is all built on confidence. And the idea that when you have a lack of confidence, it undermines the entire system. The, 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 the markets can't do anything. That's when you have an adjustment to price earnings ratios or multiples. When you have an outlook that you're not confident in, that comes down. Now, right now, we're at about a 17.6 forward multiple on the S&P 500, which I think if, in fact, we're seeing a slowing down of both manufacturing services, GDP, and the Fed is going to hold interest rates up, and we enter a recession, I don't see how it's possible that that's going to hold. Earnings estimates are going to be coming down even further than they have been coming down right now. But where we are right now is in a world that there's an expectation of a, a of, of a Multiple is 17.6 and about $220 of earnings. Bringing us to third, very simple, 3,872 as the target on the S&P 500, right where we are. But if we have the 220 and we multiply that by 15, that's a 3,300 big differential. But let's not say that. Let's say that that 220 so or so, 225 is going to be brought down to maybe 215. And we just nip down to uh, maybe a 16 times multiple. We're still at a 3450 level on the S&P 500. So when we think about and consider where we are with relation to history and where things go in recessionary environments and how earnings multiples do contract because confidence isn't there, you have to wonder for a moment how much of your neck do you want to stick out in high vol, in the growth area, in the most um, overly valued positions in the marketplace, as opposed to having more diversified and more value bent in your portfolio. And when we look at consumer confidence, and when you look at, the, for example, the conference board, uh, there, there was there was an increase in December. Last, last update we saw there was an increase. It's now at 108. It's up from 101 in November. The present situation index, which is currently, hey, how do you feel now? Rose to 147, up from 138. But you look at things like the expectation, you, you contrast the two. You look at the 147 of the present situation. But what about the future? We're talking about an 82. Now that's up from November, but there's a lack of confidence about the future. That will erode further if we see a, a further decay in the employment situation, which we're not seeing. But if, if we see a further problem with regard to the employment situation, that will cause a ripple effect in consumer confidence. Now, as we look ahead and we start thinking about 
What's going to happen in 2023? You know, am I going to speculate like with everybody else is saying we're going to have a tough first half? Earnings are going to be a problem. You're going to see a lot more layoffs going on so companies can make their numbers. Are we going to see that they're going to try their very best to bring, like Tesla did at the end of the year, discounting, heavily discounting, where they just announced last week that China is going to show more discounts as well. Stock trading down as low as, I think, 102 on Friday before it was revived a little bit with the big recovery that happened in the markets. Same thing happening with Microsoft and Amazon. Other tech companies, we're seeing them all start to do layoffs. And the reason for that is because they're trying to shore up their finances into what they probably expect to be a relatively difficult earnings season. Inflation is still going to be here. And if it doesn't increase, we're going to still have high prices. Make sure you remember that. The fact that inflation is not continuing to climb does not mean prices are lower than they were. It only means that prices have stabilized. The Fed is probably going to scale back on their interest rate increases sometime, I would expect, in the second half of 2023. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to slow down the rate of increase, but they're going to probably slow down their talk about continuing higher forever. Right now, they're in a higher forever mantra. They've been wrong every step of the way over the last two, three decades. Do not even try to tell me somehow magically they're going to get this right. They're not going to do it. Not going to happen. I don't think there's any reason to expect that. The only thing I do expect is that a lot of people will believe what they say and will abidingly follow along with that because we're not going to go against the trend. There's not That's not happening. I would think that January could bring some decent numbers. I was thinking towards the second half of January as a small cap January effect, as the wash sale rules get pushed out for people that sold mid-December. One of the biggest outflows of funds, by the way, in history happened in the last week or so. I got some information here. I'm going to flip through where it was and find it for you. because I think it's pretty interesting to note this. Um, and this bearishness in the hedge fund. This is a J.P. Morgan report. I saw this somewhere. Um, so, uh, I don't know where it is. Let's see if I can find it. One more page. Nope. Nope. I don't think I can find it. So, oh, here it is. Yeah. All right, here it is. Um, retail. Yeah, this is good. This is good information. I'm glad I stuck with the stretching of the show and pausing so I could give this to you. Okay. Um, last week, last week of, uh, December, 2022 retail traders sold $3.1 billion worth of stocks, bearish sentiment year and tax law selling big factors. The imbalance consisted of $4.1 billion of single stocks, individual names, $630 million of equity ETFs, $400 million of fixed income ETFs, order flows in major U.S. equity ETFs are all well below uh, average. At a single stock level, retail traders net sold $881 million of Tesla. Beside Tesla, they sold about $213 million of NVIDIA, $184 of Apple million, and $167 of AMD. And you could see the incredible imbalance related to individual names. Now, why do I really focus on that? What's the importance of that? Well, a lot of times you're looking for those names to be sold and eventually brought, brought back. One of the worst things that can happen in a year that there's a downturn, as we saw last year, is getting big dividends and maybe some capital gains pass-throughs from mutual funds and then somehow being deep in the red in your portfolio and having to pay tax on capital gains. That sucks. Now, a little bit here and there, okay. And if sometimes you really can't do something about it, there's nothing you could do, okay. But if you have something that dropped down precipitously and you could pick out an order lot that you bought at a much higher price and sell it into the end of the year and hold off a little bit and buy it back, something of interest right there into what I would say the second, third week, 
third, more more the third week, fourth week of January, and then we'll see what happens from there. I also expect the volatility continue, just like we're seeing now on every single breath that a Fed official takes, the report, um, an analyst, everything is going to really be pushing that needle pretty hard one way or the other. And as we get into the earnings season, it's not going to get any better. So buckle up, 2023, probably going to be just as volatile. There's not a lot of drivers or any other specific, I would say, um, reasons to expect that all of a sudden things are going to turn around. Second half of 2023, when the probability rises, the Fed's going to back off and possibly even, maybe, hint, maybe, possibly, that we're going to have to start cooling off and when we're going to have to start thinking about maybe loosening financial conditions. We saw a big loosening of financial conditions into December, by the way. That didn't help. Fed probably not too happy about that. When you look at all the inflationary numbers as well as cost factors, interest rates, et cetera, they came in pretty good in December. But right now we have a situation where the Fed is definitely in play 2023. It's going to continue the volatility. I think we stay on the, you know, on the, on the generally on the, uh, the value side uh, tilt on that. But I do think that the dollar is probably seen as big day right now, even though we'll see some spikiness. I do think that possibly longer term, my play would be on being on the on the side of a weakening dollar over time. So my two cents on a look back, look forward, 2022, 2023. That's what I got for you this week. Listen, go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Check out all there is that we do on a regular basis for our clients. And maybe you too could become a client and work with us because we'd love to work with you. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. And I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.